Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 25 through 34. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. So the title of this morning um, is God Provides, if you are taking notes. So the title of this morning is God Provides. This is actually one of my favorite passages, so I'm really excited to dive into it with you um, this morning. Uh, But just to introduce myself, if I don't know you, my name is Ryan O'Neill. I'm an intern here at Lakeview, and my wife Haley is right over here, and uh, she uh, is in pharmacy school and went through Lakeview College Ministry here as well. And uh, we lead a Sunday school class of uh, young married couples here at Lakeview, and my parents are here as well, so my mom and my dad, so um, so yeah, I got the crew, so, but uh, um, yeah, it's a little bit about myself if I haven't met you, but one of uh, the biggest components of my story, um, really my testimony in general, and I try not to get too emotional, um, has been anxiety, worry, and fear. Um, it's been a an area in my life that has crippled me in a lot of ways. Uh, I remember all the way back to uh, growing up in, in school, um, I remember my mom and dad probably remember uh, this time where um, I, I went through a season where I just, I didn't want to go to school, um, kind of late elementary school, early middle school, just hypersensitive of people and what are they thinking about me and it was just a hard season in my life in which I got help. Uh, then I think of things in my life such as when I was in high school football, I had a thing called the fun run. My, I know my dad remembers this. Uh, I had to get a certain mileage, um, a mile and a half in 10 minutes, and so all summer I anxiously prepared for that. Uh, Literally, that's all I thought about all summer, and God was good and I was fine, but uh, my point being, it was just a constant, perpetual worry, anxiety, fear about both big things, perhaps, and also uh, little things. Y'all come in if you want to, so (laughs) don't feel like you're, just come on in. Um, but, uh, and then I think about grades, for instance, some, this area might relate to you, uh, grades where I was hyper obsessive about, am I doing things right? Am I doing them wrong? Uh, then I think about, uh, my first year of seminary, um, I had this idea that when I went, um, it would be this spiritually high season of my life. And, uh, I remember just nights where it was, uh, it was really hard and I was struggling and, and wondering where, where, um, the Lord was, and he's, he's been gracious to me, and, you know, then I think of things in my life, um, you know, now, am I doing tasks well, am I uh, doing responsibilities well, am I, am I a good husband to Haley, I mean, it's, again, a constant, uh, perpetual turmoil of worry, anxiety, and fear, um, and I feel like this is a season um, where that's been heavy for Haley and I, too, we uh, Haley graduates in May. Uh, my internship here at Lakeview ends this summer, and we uh, would love to stay here, um, but we're just kind of putting options on the table, and um, one of those options is uh, a pharmacy residency for Haley that would give her a really good opportunity. So last month, um, if you're not familiar with this, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but uh, we uh, have been interviewing at places and uh, doing a variety of things, just sen- getting trying to get a sense of where God wants us and what he wants us to do. And at the end of the process, after however many interviews, you rank your options, and then they rank you. It's this, like, crazy algorithm of a process. Um, but Haley and I just continually remind ourselves that God is sovereign, right? Like, whatever the statistics show, the research shows, that it's God, God is the one who determines where we go and what we do. 
And uh, one of those options we put on the table was New York City. Uh, while we're really excited about that, we had some really deep fears, and uh, we got a call on Friday that we got an offer there. <laughs> so um, right now, when I, I, I had picked out this text before we knew that we were going there. And uh, now that that's a reality, Haley and I this weekend have really struggled with, man, like, do we trust God, you know? Uh, things in our life, such as whatever it might be, like finances or it's a big place and I'm going to feel lonely, a variety of things. Uh, then this text became really real to me <laughs> uh, really quick. And so be, be praying for us. Um, we're excited, but we have a lot of fears. Um, but again, I lead all of that up to say and ask you this morning, what are you anxious about? And uh, think about that. You really don't have to think about it because you know the answer that comes to your mind when I ask that question. Uh, but I feel like anxiety, worry, and fear is a, a reality that every single one of us in this room, no matter our age, go through, right? It's, it's an everyday battle, and some, some, some of us struggle with it in more severity than others, but it is, in all honesty, a reality that we all face. And as the church, I want to combat that with the Word of God. We have the scriptures, um, the scripture to speak into our lives. And so all of that to say, let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that the realities that we face on a daily basis are not distant from you. God, we know that you sent your one and only son who took on the flesh that, that we have and lived the perfect life, died the sinful death that we deserve and rose from the grave. He's alive and well today. And so God, we know that whatever temptations and trials we face in our life, that uh, we have a high priest who can empathize with us. You know what we're going through and even more. And so, God, our fears, anxieties, and worries that are heavy on our heart and in our life uh, this morning, God, would you calm them with your character, God? Would you calm them with how good you are and gracious you are and righteous you are? Oh, Father, we ask that you would transform our lives this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I think... Uh, the main point of this text, and again, if you're, you're taking notes, you can write this down, is simply uh, Jesus reminded his people that because he provides for them, they are not to be anxious. I'll repeat that again. Jesus reminded his people that because he provides for them, they are not to be anxious. Jesus reminded his people that because he provides for them, 
they are not to be anxious. And then when you relate that to us this morning, you just simply uh, put you in the story. Jesus is reminding his people, you the church, this morning that because he provides for you, you're not to be anxious. That's what I think the main point of this text is. It's not don't be anxious, it's he provides for you. And then you can put your anxiety, your fear and worry enveloped into the fact that he is your father, he is your God. And uh, in the context of this passage, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, uh, Jesus is on the Sermon of the Mount. And if you look at uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so Jesus, when he's talking about anxiety here, he's talking to his disciples, the 12 that he was closest to. And then you can see here he goes into the Beatitudes, he goes into salt and light, Christ came to fulfill the law. Then he talks about very practical things like anger, lust, retaliation, divorce. Then into chapter 6, giving to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, as we all know, fasting, laying up treasures in heaven, and then do not be anxious into chapter 7. So we're in the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus is specifically and personally talking to his disciples. And so I I see three truths um, in this scripture that I want to dive into dive in with you today Um, and they're each divided by the word therefore so look at verse 25 you see therefore verse 31 therefore and verse 34 therefore and so the first truth that we see this morning is God promises for the God provides for the birds and the lilies so number one is God provides for the birds and the lilies and I see that in verses 25 through 30 So God provides for the birds and lilies. Let's go into those uh, few verses. Look at the therefore in verse 25. So Jesus says, therefore. So anytime in scripture, this is a good tool for you. You see the word therefore, you need to look where? Before, right? So it's always there for a reason. And so let's look at um, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 real quick and see what Jesus says. Why in the world would Jesus put a therefore here? So just the passage before, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy and your whole body will be full of life, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then he says, therefore. So look at uh, 19 through 21. Jesus is saying, don't store up treasures here on earth. Store them up in heaven. (laughs) He's reminding them that there's an eternal uh, security and an reward by Uh, following God and by putting him as the author of your life and so you and I we can get good grades we can get a good career we can do all these successful things but at at the end of the day does that really matter if we're not putting Christ at the number one and then he goes into that second part of this passage 22 and 23 and he talks about the eye and the lamp and it's all kind of confusing but what he means by that is the high is the way into the heart And so if the eye is healthy, that's showing that the disciple is loyally devoted to God. He's following God. And if it's unhealthy, then it's impaired. There's moral corruption. And then he goes into verse 24. Look at verse 24 again with me. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and money. So his main point right before he gets into our passage is simply, if you make the right choices, there's a therefore no reason to be anxious. If you literally do the, the thing that God, that Jesus right here in, in chapter 6 is telling you to do, and think about that, that's completely against our culture. What's our society tell us, tells us to do? To store up treasures here on earth, right? But Jesus flips it and he says, no, store up treasures in heaven. Uh, do, do, the, do the thing of my Father. So I don't know about you, but if I heard that, I would then think like, well, if I'm supposed to, you know, not worry about God and money or not worry about money or my finances, then how am, how am I going to live? And so Jesus combats that with, therefore, I tell you, now look at else what he says, do not be anxious. And so when I talk about anxiety this morning, what am I referring to? That word anxious right there means, literally means to be troubled with cares. It means to care for and to look out for a thing. Um, I heard the, um, I read this yesterday, a quote about worry. It's worry is interest paid on a debt you may never owe. And so worry is paying interest on a debt you may never owe. So you're literally worrying about something that you don't really know is quite going to be a reality yet. And so what do I not mean by anxiety? (laughs) Um, There's a few uh, instances in Scripture where there is um, correct worry. Number one, Paul was anxious, and he was anxious for um, the churches that he was planting. He had a right anxiousness about him. Now, I'm sure there were some components of his anxiety that might have been hard, just like you and I. But if uh, don't turn here, but in 2 Corinthians 11.28, it says this, And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so Paul had this deep-rooted God. Uh, he wanted God to be glorified. He wanted God, the gospel to advance. And so uh, how I see this is he just he cared a lot for the church. And so he had an anxiety, not maybe not an ungodly anxiety, but an anxiety that he just wanted God's name to be glorified. Then uh, you see this um, in Psalm 38.4 in the sense that for you and I, we should have an anxiety about pleasing God. Now, on my end, I'm a performance-driven, uh, obsessed about a lot of things, and so a lot of times I can really be hyper-sensitive uh, to this area of my life. But what I mean by this is you and I should be deeply concerned about pleasing God. And so when we don't please God, sin naturally convicts us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. You see this in Psalm 38, 4. It says, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And so when sin is a reality in our hearts, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And it does cause somewhat of an anxiety. Now, you can do that in an ungodly way, but in some ways it can be godly as well. You see this in Psalm 51, 17. This is David after he repents of um, of uh, murdering Bathsheba's husband and committing adultery with her. He says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So there's a balance here. Um, But this is really important, especially for college students. What I'm not saying this morning is go home, don't study, don't work, just kick back, play video games, watch Netflix all day. That is not what I'm saying when I tell you not to worry, right? Uh, You see in Scripture, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we are with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, he shall not eat. 
And so scripture is very clear that there's a proactiveness on our end to honor God and to put ourselves in the position that God will provide. So what I'm saying this morning is don't, do not interpret it as go home and kick back and have a good time and you'll get an A automatically because we all know that's not how it works. Uh, Colossians 3.23 also says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for the human master. So what do I mean by anxiety? Again, it's paying interest on a debt you may ever owe. It's this perpetual wanting of control and lack of faith and trust in God. It's literally an obsession or you're driven or preoccupied by some thought that is haunting you in the present that's still in the future or even maybe in the past, right? We all know what I'm talking about. You might be anxious about what am I going to do this summer or where am I going to live after I graduate or should I date this person or not date this person or should I X, Y, and Z. We're all anxious about something. It's a reality in our hearts. And Jesus literally tells us, therefore, I tell you not to be anxious, <laughs> which begs the question, why, why, why would he tell us not to be anxious? And uh, yeah, I mean, why, why, what, what authority does he have in our lives to tell us not to be anxious? Look, keep looking in verse 25. He says, do not be anxious about your life. And then he gives three specific examples, what you will eat, what you will drink, and then number third, third uh, nor about your body, what you will put on where. So as uh, Westerners and Americans, you and I typically don't have to worry about what we eat, drink, and wear. We can just go to the store, buy it, you know, it's done for us. It's kind of this consumerism culture. But put yourself in the context of Jesus' disciples here, okay? These are people who are fishermen who went out and fished for the day, perhaps, or the week, or these are um, workers that are tooling the land. It's a weekly thing. It's not a just go to the you know mall and buy a shirt and then you're good, or be a woman had to actually sew the shirt and not a machine. And so it's not talking about this uh, culture where you can just go get whatever you want. It's They were actually working to get their food and their drink and what they were going to wear. Uh, maybe in postgraduate uh, studies, you might actually be worried about what you're going to eat because you might not have a lot of money. But right now, you're probably okay. Um, but remember uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 24, what did Jesus say? He said, you cannot serve God and money. Uh, David Pallison says this, it's not so much with the feelings of anxiety than it is what are you living for. And uh, I think that's very practical. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 12. So take a right to Luke chapter 12. This um, <coughs> chapter also has a, kind of an extended version of Matthew chapter 6, if you want to look at this later uh, this week. We're not going to read this, um, that passage in particular. Look at verse 22. Um, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he goes on into that passage. But let's read the passage right before, okay? This is also a, an example of a therefore. Verse 13 on, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. 
And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Look back up to verse um, 15 here. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so, in essence, Jesus is saying, do not worry about what you eat, drink, what you're going to wear, because if you serve God and not serve money, he's going to take care of you. And he says that right here at the end of verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Back in Matthew chapter 6. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So if you had a test or I asked you this question, if I saw you somewhere, you would probably agree with me that your life and your body is more, it's, it's, it's of a higher priority than uh, what you eat or what you wear, right? And when he talks about life here, he's talking about the, the breath you breathe, your inner being, your soul, your dignity, uh, your personality, everything about you. And then when he's saying your body, it's your physical body, your brain. And Jesus is using an argument here. He's saying, if this, then how much more that? And so if God will, pro- he, if he's provided you life, your soul, your being, who you are, and he's provided you a body, <laughs> is that not more to, you, to, to him and to you? than what you eat and what you drink. So it's not a matter of specifically anxiety, but a matter of priority. And so you'll see this argument throughout. Romans 8.32 says, He who does not spare his own son, but gave him up for his all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? And so in the gospel, God has given us Christ. Will he not continue to give us even more? So look at verse 26 with me. He, Jesus uses two practical examples um, of birds of the air and then lilies of the field. Verse 26, he literally says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And verse 26, And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So Jesus, I picture this with me. Uh, Jesus talking to his disciples on a mountainside, and, he, and, a, and birds just swoop by. They're in the tree. They're chirping. They're maybe grabbing a worm. Um, and, and Jesus literally looks over them, and he says, Look at the birds. And so look at these three descriptions here. They don't sow, so you never see a bird scattering seed to, to uh, reap a harvest. Secondly, they don't reap. They don't go out after they sowed seed and get their you know, produce. And then thirdly, they don't gather their stuff into the barns. And so farmers were in this context. They, they would have known what Jesus was talking about here. And look at verse 26. This is so beautiful. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And so if you, if you watched a bird uh, get a worm or get food, they're, they're still working. It's not like the bird is just sitting in a tree and God drops a worm in their mouth, right? They go out, they fly, they, they get the thing that they need for, for themselves. However, the point Jesus is saying here is everything that the bird gets does not come from themselves. You never see a bird going out to toil the land. The only way that the bird eats is if God provides what? The worm. And so Jesus is literally showing them if God provides for these birds who literally don't do anything on their own, they're just an expense of God's providence into life, then how much more will he feed you? Look at verse 26 at the end here. Are you not of more value than they? Back to that argument. If God provides for the birds, he will definitely provide for you. Turn uh, to Genesis chapter 1 with me. Genesis 1, we're going to read a few verses here.
Genesis 1, 26 through 31. This is in creation. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Look at verse 7 in chapter 2. This is just a microscopic view of when God created Adam. Verse 7, Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So God, Jesus is literally pointing to the birds of the air and saying, I provide for them. How much more will I provide for you? Are you not of any more value than they? And I really believe Jesus was referring back to Genesis chapter 1 here. And look at verse 27 of 1. So God created man in his own image. And so what's it mean for us as human beings to be created in the image of God? R.C. Sproul says this, We are the icons of God, creatures made with a unique capacity to mirror and reflect the character of God. And so we're icons, we're instruments to image his uh, character and his glory. Secondly, we're moral agents like God. Uh, we have the faculties of our mind and our will. We can think, we can feel, we can reason. Uh, thirdly, we, uh, we, ha- we can have a relationship with God. <laughs> we're made in the image of him. We're made for community. And fourthly, you see this in Genesis 1, we uh, have dominion over the birds of the air and the grass of the field and everything that he's created us. So he set us um, kind of above his creation to image it and to reflect his, his image. We are the image of God um, in him. And so what you see uh, right here is Jesus reminding them of Genesis chapter 1. He's saying, the birds are flying. They didn't do anything on their own. I simply provided for them. How much more value are you uh, than they? And a practical thing that I do that you could as well on a, maybe a season of your life that, where you're really anxious or worried is uh, I, I literally, when I see a bird or I hear a bird, I try to remind myself of Matthew chapter 6. <laughs> um, I think that's a practical implication of this text is when you're walking or driving or like if you find yourself incredibly anxious and worried and doubting God's providence, then go on a walk and listen to the birds of the air and remind yourselves of Matthew chapter 6 that God provides for them and they're not even made in the image of God. <laughs> How much more will he provide for you? Look at uh, verse 27 with me. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Some of your translations might say, uh, who can add one cubit to his stature? Some of yours might say hour uh, to his span of life. There's some discrepancy regarding the translation. uh, But what Jesus is saying is, um, he's using a metaphor here, uh, the cubit, and it's about 18 inches, so it goes from your elbow to your fingers. And uh, say on a birthday, sometimes we say this, like, you reached a milestone, right? Well, 
they didn't actually reach a milestone, but what it is is a metaphor saying they've reached an extra step in their life. And so what Jesus is saying here is you can't grow 18 inches per se um, or adding an hour to your life, but his, his purpose in saying this is if you worry, what good can it do at all, right? And science actually shows that when we worry, we're actually taking away from our life emotionally and physically than we are adding to it. But you and I typically, I know for myself, in those seasons where I'm incredibly anxious and worried, what am I doing? I'm taking control into my hands and taking it out of God's thinking that perhaps I can get a better grasp and add an hour to my life. Uh, But Jesus is saying here, literally, there's nothing good that's going to come out of you worrying. You can't add anything to it. Psalm 139.16 says this, In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none. And so God has written beforehand the days of our life. And as we walk, God determines our end. So worrying won't extend it. So don't do it, right? These are uh, things that um, are hard for us to grasp. But I love Jesus' statement. You can't add an hour to your life if you worry. Let's look at this second example that Jesus does here. Look at uh, verses 28 through 30, and we'll keep rolling. Verse 28, he talks about the lilies. And why are you so anxious about clothing? So why are you troubled about another basic necessity? Consider the lilies of the field. So that word consider here is see how, learn, learn from the lilies. If I was the disciples, I'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, Jesus, or I'm, I'm not about to take another lesson from a bird or, or a flower. But Jesus is literally pointing them to the creation and saying, take a lesson from them and watch how I make them grow. Look at verse 28 continually, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And so that toil right there means they don't toil in the field. They don't work in the field, nor do they spin, which was an um, illustration of uh, thinking of a lady at home um, sewing clothes together. And so Jesus' point is when you look at a, a flower in the field, <laughs> there was nothing in their doing that made them even more beautiful than what they are. It was simply God's doing. God God grew the flower. And uh, when he's talking about these flowers here, he's not talking about specifically uh, horticulture depending on certain things in, in the greenhouse, for example. But think of grass and flowers that when you drive down the road that no one, no one planted the seed, no one did anything, they just grew. And sometimes you'll find some very beautiful ones. And again, that's showing you that humanity had nothing to do with that. It was only God. Look at verse 29. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now these Jews would have known who Solomon was. <laughs> he was a king in their time. If you look into First Kings, you can t- see uh, the extent of his life. Uh, Solomon, as we all know, had great <clears throat> wisdom. He was also a very <clears throat> wealthy man, one of the wealthiest men in the world. Uh, he had commerce and trading, gifts, tributes, um, heavy taxation. I mean, all kinds of wealth. So think about, you know, uh, if you're a sports fan, you see these athletes signing these huge contracts or think about the wealthiest people in our land and uh, how would they take Jesus telling them to take a lesson from the flower, right? But what Jesus is reminding the Jews is when Solomon comes to your mind, he's one of the wealthiest people in the Bible and he's not even arrayed like one of these flowers that just randomly grew somewhere in creation. And look at verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, if he makes the grass and the flowers beautiful, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Here's our argument again. If he clothes the grass, will he not clothe you, 
Again, you're made in the image of God. He takes care of things that are lesser than the image of God. So what does that imply? He therefore will definitely take care of me because I'm made in the image of God. That which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, um, these Jews would have used uh, the grass of the field for fuel, um, for ovens, for their bread. And so literally the grass is here, it's gone tomorrow. And Jesus is reminding them, I take care of them. They're beautiful in my sight. How much more will I take care of you? Look at the description here Jesus uses. Oh, you of little faith. What is Jesus implying here? That they're of little faith. He uses uh, that exact phrase in Matthew chapter 8 when he goes and he calms the storm. If you remember that story, Jesus is taking a nap in the boat. The storm is, is very, um, just very harsh. And the disciples are worried. They're, they're anxious. Like, Jesus, are you going to wake up? Are you going to do something? And he wakes up and he's like, oh, you of little faith. You know who I am. You know, you've seen the power revealed in me. Will you just ask me? He also uses it in Matthew chapter 16. This is after Jesus uh, fed the 5,000. And the disciples go to Jesus and say, Jesus, like, we, we're anxious. We don't have any food. And he says, oh, you have a little faith. Do you, not, do you literally not remember what I just did for you? And uh, I think of that, oh, you have a little faith for me. Because many times I go throughout my life, uh, get, again, perpetually and continually trying to take things in my own hands and forgetting the fact that he cares for the grass of the field and the birds of the air. Will he not care for me? And so I have a few questions for you today to think through. Where are you distrusting God today? I asked you, firstly, what are you anxious about? Secondly, where are you not trusting him? <laughs> you know his character. What are you believing about him and your circumstances? What are you, where are you doubting him? What's going on in your heart today? Um, and these are some questions that we'll, we'll hit to uh, here in a li- little bit. But look at, look at uh, verses 31 through 33. Secondly, God provides for those who seek him. God provides for those who seek him. Look at verse 31. We see another therefore. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And so, again, he refers back to that, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? Is, is life not more important than, the, than these things? In essence, Jesus is saying, what rules your life, your need uh, or your God? <laughs> Are you constantly going through your life thinking, what grades am I going to make, or who am I going to date, or what am I going to do after graduation, and forgetting the fact that God has given you life, he's given you breath, he's given you being. What, so look at... Um, why the therefore? Again, God provides for the birds. He provides for the lilies. He'll provide for you. And if you look at verse 32, it can be kind of confusing when you first read it. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your uh, translation might say nations. Um, what Jesus is saying here is uh, throughout the Old Testament, um, you know, we know that Israel was God's people. And so he made covenant with them and said, I'm going to bless the world through, through my people through you. And so in essence, Jesus is reminding them, you are my people. Like, I'm, I'm your God, you are my people. From eternity past, from when I made the, com- the covenants, I've provided for you. But the other ones, the Gentiles, the nations, the ones who follow idols, they seek after these things relentlessly. But you know the, you know the scriptures, you know my faithfulness, I will provide for you. In our day of time, if, if you're a believer this morning, that's like saying, uh, for those who don't follow Christ, they seek after those things. But there's a distinction here. Remember, he's talking to his people. And in relation to us, God's word this morning is talking to us. If we seek 
restlessly and anxiously for things that we're going to wear or what we're going to eat or drink or what are we going to do here or there? What is that showing the world? That we don't really trust him, right? But for us, God has revealed himself and he's shown us that he's he's trustworthy. Look at verse 32. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Uh, Matthew 6, 8, don't, don't turn here, I'll read it for you, says this, don't be like them, talking about the Gentiles, the nations, for your Father knows that what you need before you ask. And then if you were to turn over to Matthew 7, uh, Jesus says this, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what does that show? Is it shows us that God is sovereign and that God is good and he's going to take care of us. Uh, Lise Fitzpatrick, um, she's become one of my favorite authors. She does a lot of biblical counseling. She has a a book called Counsel from the Cross. She also has Comforts from the Cross. Um, Really incredible author. Um, But she, um, and if you're taking notes, this is a really great tool. She gives two ways to read um, the Bible. Number one is the indicatives of Scripture. So an indicative, it's like a declaration. So declaration. And number two is the imperatives of Scripture, an obligation. And so when you and I read this text, typically what we'll do is we'll walk out this morning and say, I'm not to be anxious. Like, right, Jesus literally says, do not be anxious. Yes, that is a point of the scripture, but we got to fuel it with something else. So ask yourself, because of this, this, whoever God is, then therefore I will not worry. So my question is, what have we seen about God's character in this text? We've seen that he provides for the birds of the air the grass of the field. We see that he knows what we need before we even ask him. We see that he's sovereign, he's good, he calls us not to be anxious. My point is, what, what have we seen about God's character? And then secondly, how does that affect our anxiety? So when we know his character, we'll therefore know he's always faithful, he's always true, he's always righteous, he's always good. There's one component to say, just don't be anxious, but that's probably not going to be sustainable. You're probably going to be anxious but when you bank your anxiety into the character of God, every time you, will, you can take him to the bank. One of the biggest uh, antidotes to my life to what I was talking to you earlier about my anxiety and worry and fear is, uh, Kevin would be proud of me, is J.I. Packer's Knowing God. <laughs> when uh, I read Knowing God, I, I just in a whole nother light learned about who God was. And so when I was going throughout my life just so anxious and worried, I remember, I remember those truths from Scripture that he is righteous. He's pure. He's holy. There's no evil in him. I remember those truths that he's always faithful. He can't be faithless. I remember those truths that he's good and gracious, that if he's given me Christ, he, will he not give me all things? I remember Romans eight twenty eight, for he works all things together for the good of those who love him. And so we have the declarations of Scripture, and then we have the obligations. Don't first run to not be anxious. Run first to who God is. And we see that clearly in this text. In verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That word seek there, it's a, it's a present tense word. It's, it's calling you to action. It's an unceasing quest. It's like if you're on a, a scavenger hunt and you were seeking out a specific answer, you're, you're going to get it until, you're going to keep going until you get it. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. And look at the word first. You don't seek God secondly or thirdly. You seek him where? First, priority of utmost importance. And the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus is just simply saying God's reign. He rules over all things. He 
governs all things. He's Lord over all things. He's sovereign in his righteousness. He's pure, holy, and good. And so Jesus is saying, you are anxious right now. I pointed you to the grass of the field, the birds of the air. I've shown you that I know what you need before you even know it. So now seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And look what he says, and all these things will be added to you. Now this is an important implication to what we're reading. Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to give you this lavish life of full extravagancies. Remember, what is he telling you not to be worried about? Basic necessities, eating, drinking, what you're going to wear. And so what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 is God will always give you what you need and when you need it. (laughs) He will always give you what you need to carry out his will. Um, The antidote to distrust in God is meditating on his character and seeking after, not seeking after anxiety is seeking first God. So I have a question. I want someone to answer me. Uh, So speak up. When does an anxious person stop being an anxious person? When does an anxious person stop being an anxious person? Someone have a thought? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Okay, it's good. So not not worrying. What else? Anyone else have any thoughts? When does an anxious person stop being an anxious person? Trust in God? Okay, it's cool. So both those both go hand in hand. Turn over to Ephesians five. I'm trying to leave questions time for discussion, but if we don't get to it, it's all right. Turn over to, sorry, Ephesians 4, my bad. This is, uh, I think, a practical tool for us today. Ephesians 4, 28 through 29. This doesn't have to do anything with anxiety, but it still is applicable. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, catch that. Let the thief, so someone who is stealing, let him no longer steal, but look at the bottom part here, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So you could do, when does an anxious person stop being an anxious person? You could also ask, when does a thief stop becoming a thief? The natural inclination to that question is when he doesn't steal. But what scripture says is, no, when he doesn't steal, but when he gives, that's when he stops becoming a thief, when he supplements it with something uh, that he's, he's, not, he's not just merely, when he's not stealing, he's just, it's just not convenient for him at that time. But when he's giving, he's, he's supplementing it with God's character. Look at the next verse. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So no corrupting talk, only such as is good for building up as fits for the occasion that it may great, give grace to those who hear. So when does someone who speaks harsh words stop being that person when he starts speaking very kind and uplifting words? And the same, same back to Matthew 6 is when do we stop becoming anxious? When we start putting our trust in God, when we start seeking after him and his righteousness, God will naturally uh, cover us with his grace and remind us of his character. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful and practical tool for you today. Let's end out with verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so you see Jesus here says another therefore. So he, he's literally banking all of his argument back into to this verse. Uh, up to this point, he's been pretty theological. He's reminded you that you're the image of God. He's, pr- he's provider for the birds of the air, the grass of the field. Here he gets pretty practical. I love how Jesus does recognize the fact that it is easy to get anxious about tomorrow. <laughs> it's not like he's like, just suck it up. 
you'll be all right. But he's, he understands the fact that as humans, we naturally get anxious about tomorrow. But what does he remind us of? For tomorrow, that'll be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what, what's the main point of verse 34? I think it's simply this. Haley has reminded me of this so much. Uh, God promises us enough grace for today. He's, he's sovereign. He's omnipresent. And yeah, he'll surely give us the grace for the thing we're worrying about in a week or six months. But he promises us, us enough grace for today. Lamentations 3.23 says that his mercies are new, what? Every morning. Exodus 16.4, when the Israelites were banking on God to provide them bread, it says, God says this, I will rain down manna from heaven for you. Go out each day and gather enough for what? For today. <laughs> Trust me, I will provide for you tomorrow. I'll provide for you these next days, but I've given you the promise that I will provide for you today. So trust me. Psalm 119.105 says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We can only, that lamp only shines so far, but we can trust him. And then Matthew 6, 11 in the Lord's Prayer says, Give us today our daily bread. And so God has promised us enough grace for today. And so at the beginning, I reminded you, Jesus reminds his people that because he provides for them, they are not to be anxious. And to you, Jesus is reminding you, his people, he's your father, you're his children. If he's given you Christ, will he not therefore give you all things? And we see in scripture as well the parable where Someone comes to the man at night, knocks on the door, and needs bread. Will, will, the, will his friend give him a stone? No. God, God will give us what we need when we need it, and he will always provide, especially when we serve him over money and all these tedious things of life. And so back to my question uh, that I asked you today, what are you anxious about this morning? What are you anxious about? And then secondly, what... Uh, what disbeliefs are you thinking about God or trusting about God and how has Matthew 6 met you where you're at and so we don't have much time but I do want you uh, around your your group um, you can decide which one of these questions you want to focus on but just quickly talk about Matthew chapter 6 maybe some things that stood out and some next steps for you and then we'll close out